Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everybody welcome back to podside uh this is pete and i'm here with carlo um the the schmendrick to my unicorn i don't know well we're working on it anyway we're gonna talk about the last unicorn but that's not the real treat here uh we're hanging out with jr dawson uh jen and we'll talk a little bit about uh what iron she has in the fire as well um how are the two of you good how are you good good i i quit work early to go and do this so I couldn't be happier. It's a good Friday. That's that's a great. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I managed to build in I need to leave early to record at my work, but they've swallowed it. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. So, uh, a place I would like to start is how did this happen? So, you know, there's two parts of that. One, how did we land on the last unicorn? And two, how did we manage to trick Jen into doing it? And let's start with Carlo. Uh, <laughs> why the last unicorn? It's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I'm just like, how did we get here? So, I mean, I, I this is my first read of the last unicorn, believe it or not. Uh, and and I, I have to admit that I was a little... Um, skeptical of the uh, influence and the longevity of the work. Um, and, you know, it's beloved by a lot of people. And I, I sort of was skeptical of that. I was like, eh, it can be this good. And friends, I can tell you with no reservations that it is exactly this good. Um, and I just finished reading it. Like, I, I finished reading it. And, like, maybe that afternoon I, I tweeted out, um, an invitation that who wanted to talk about the last unicorn and Jen said me, if I'm not mistaken, that those were, <laughs> those were your exact words. And, uh, well, why not? Let's do that. Uh, Jen, what, what did you, or what do you think, or how did you come about reading the last unicorn? When did you read it and all that good stuff? Sure. So I actually didn't grow up with The Last Unicorn. Um, my parents are muggles, so I was lucky <laughs> to know Harry Potter. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> so I'm I'm just now discovering Lord of the Rings. Like, I'm super behind. And as a spec fic writer, that's <laughs> horrific. But um, I actually <laughs> caught the movie when I was in college. I think it was on TV or one of my more well-versed friends was like, you've never seen The Last Unicorn. <laughs> So, um, I loved the movie. Um, there's especially like this one part of the story that like, I, I, I we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. I don't want to give my whole thing right now, but, um, it really stayed with me. And then, uh, I didn't read the book. And then I was at the nebulas in 2018 and Peter Beagle was the, um, guest of honor yeah. mm -hmm. and i was running the the uh, volunteer desk when he came up and they were like mr beagle and i was like i haven't read his book but i'm sure it's really good and he really got me with his speech and then i found out that one of my friends was like friends with him or something like or their dad was friends with him and i was like i really need to read this guy's book <laughs> and because if I ever run into him, I'm not going to be the one person on the planet that hasn't read it. So, um, yeah, I read it and it, it was, it was a, a lot like the movie yeah. and also different. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Pete. No, I, I was just saying I, that that's awesome. And like, one of the things that makes this so interesting to me is like, I know you are a, a multiply published science fiction author, like, you know, you've been in Lightspeed, you've been in uh, quite a few of the magazines and so on. And the idea that you've, you've approached 
science fiction from the perspective you have. And um, like, I, I, I don't want to say not done the reading because that sounds kind of <laughs> assholeish from me. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, I think that's wonderful. I mean, I love the idea that you're coming in from the side with your own perspective and you're, you're, you're only catching up now. Honestly, I wish more people would do that. Yeah, a lot of my background um, um, for undergrad, I went to DePaul's theater school. So a lot of my reading background was in um, playwriting and theater. And um, who's your favorite? Oh, God. Well, it used to be Tony Kushner, but I don't I don't know now. Um, I'm a Joe Orton guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I still like Shaw. Like Shaw is problematic but (laughs) like he's kind of funny like he's like old weird grandpa funny and and he'll have like an interesting place in my heart because of that Um, i I think any male writer who was born before 1970 should have some sort of shackle monitor on so i understand (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah so and then i also like grew up with like Dickens and Richard Adams. And, and uh, so it's only been like in the last God, seven, eight years that I was able to like kind of pop out of that and enter. Um, and I actually entered spec fic by reading Charlie Jane Anders. And I was like, Oh, this is the, this is the stuff. Like, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> so uh, you, you can, you can say swears on here, Jen. It's oh, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> But we can prove it if it'll help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I wanted, uh, and I wanted to ex- sort of expand on what I said before, and mainly because I'm almost glad that I didn't try to read this when I was younger. Um, in part because it is a a weirdly melancholy book that seems to have the shadow of death hanging over it. And that sounds really heavy. (laughs) It sounds really heavy, but it seems that that's the theme throughout. And of course it, it it makes perfect sense because the unicorn is immortal. Mm -hmm. Um, So why wouldn't an immortal creature sort of have death, you know, sort of like as a theme, as a counterpoint, if you will, right. As a Mm -hmm. counter melody or whatever. And, um, I probably would have bounced so hard of the, off of this book when I was younger because it wasn't sort of badass enough or something like that, that I would have probably never come back to it and been like, nah, I don't need it. I, I read it when I was eight. And I remember from that read, I just thought of it as syrupy sweet. Like the whole specter of death throughout the whole thing just went right over my, my tiny brain. <laughs> I, I would have loved it. Um, my favorite book when I was a kid was Watership Down and oh. uh, the Animorph series. So mm. I, this is my jam. Like I've been like more death. I need more death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Watership Down is a is a heavy book. <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is that uh, I I didn't realize it when I first read it. I mean it sort of it was sort of there, but you know you're. I was in sixth grade, you know, it's not like death is a far away concept that is like, eh, okay, maybe that'll happen someday. (laughs) Yeah. Every so often I'll be reading something political and the, the metaphor of the shining wire will pop into my head. And I do Mm. not thank Robert Adams for that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Well, I mean, he, he wrote an entire warren of rabbits that are essentially, uh, you know, Omelas. They're perfectly fine with Omelas. Yeah, which is pretty realistic. I think I think most people would be not not to bum us out. So cheeriness, good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Plus unicorn death. Hey, why don't we uh, read a little bit? Uh, I I did want to read a little bit of the opening because I find uh, like I, I there's so many little lines and little turns of phrases scattered throughout the book that were just a delight for me to find. They were like little treasures and you know, that I found along the way. Um, And I wanted to sort of give a taste of that uh, from the opening, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is the opening. Um, The unicorn lived in the lilac wood and she lived alone, or I'm sorry, she lived all alone. She was very old, though she did not know it. And she was no longer the careless color of sea foam. 
but rather the color of snow falling on a moonlit night. But her eyes were still clear and unwearied, and she still moved like a shadow on the sea. She did not look anything like a horned horse, as unicorns are often pictured, being smaller and cloven-hooved, and possessing that oldest, wildest grace that horses have never had, that deer have only in a shy, thin imitation, and goats in dancing mockery. Her neck was long and slender, making her head seem smaller than it was, and the mane that fell across almost to the middle of her back was as soft as dandelion fluff and as fine as cirrus. She had pointed ears and thin legs with feathers of white hair at the ankles, and the long horn above her eyes shone and shivered with its own seashell light even in the deepest midnight. She had killed dragons with it and healed a king whose poisoned wound would not close and knocked down ripe chestnuts for bear cups. And, you know, just with that, uh, that's all you need to know. That's really awesome. I, yeah, I, I, uh, um, I did watch the movie again last night, but the most recently I've read The Last Unicorn was about a year ago. And it's, um, it's very strange to find something targeted, or at least that felt like it was targeted uh, at the young, that really has that, um, that, that, that open acknowledgement that things are wrapping up. Mm-hmm. I mean, just little things like when, when, when you're dealing with Schmendrick, he's, you know, it's, it's very clear. He's one of the last mages and it's not explicitly called out, but it's very clear that magic is leaving the world by the way everybody reacts to it and how they talk about it. And, and that, that feels a lot more real to me than dealing with a fantasy novel where there's long expositions about how the magic is going away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it does read like a fable kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's all, it's almost like, it's like the world is a shirt that's being washed again and again. And that magic is just like being bleached out of it. Why did I come up with that metaphor? But you know that what was I really mean? good though. That's what, what the book feels like. Though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, as we, start realizing i mean it's in the title she is the last of her kind and uh, she doesn't know it and she only knows it because some hunters sort of wander through her forest and you know because she's it's a it's her forest it's too magical for them to really catch any game and she overhears them saying you know oh she's the last of her kind and she's like what what where where where's everyone else? And that's how the adventure begins. That's an inciting incident. I remember thinking, like, man, if that hadn't happened, like, <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it happens in that once upon a time uh, period of time, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, honestly, who knows? There there may have been other hunters that had wandered through there, but she hadn't been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so. I just found like just that opening is so magical in and of itself. Just describing her in like these weird metaphors and not saying, well, oh, her, her, her fur or her, her flanks were white. No, no. This is just using different um, sort of sometimes contradictory things to describe her. She's an interesting character, and that's one thing that um, kind of stayed with me all the way through, like, the first time that I watched the movie, too. I did a quick reread this week, um, is how well the unicorn is written and how this is a guy writing this very feminine character very well. Um, That sometimes, not all, but sometimes... um, cis male authors don't always hit that note and it doesn't come off as genuine, but there's just something very genuine in his writing and um, him as a person. Like one thing that really struck me, you know, when we like brushed next to each other at at, uh, the Nebs is that he's just like, he's a melancholy person. Mm. Um, Everything about Peter Beagle is melancholy. Like there's, there's just something 
really hopeful and magical about him, but also just very like beaten down and weathered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can see that in the writing. I, I just like, he must be such an interesting human to know. Like, I just want to like pick his brain and talk to him for hours to figure out like what is going on. Right. Well, I mean, I, the thing that, I I felt like a like a, a slight rage when I looked at the 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 acknowledgments at the back and I was like he wrote this when he was twenty eight. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the fuck, man! Yeah. He started it when he was twenty six. Mm-hmm. Jesus, and well, he was he, raising three kids at the time too. Yeah. Well, there's well, the melancholy. Found it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he he uh, he wrote it, and it was published in '68. So I'm going to guess it probably came out like in maybe, or like he was writing it maybe in '66, '67 at the oh very God. least. So you know, I I can see like in the context of the time, I can see why he would feel <laughs> the way he feels. You know, uh, yeah, it's also really timely though. Like it's uh, untimely, I guess. Timely, untimely. It's it's. It still feels relevant today. Like we're, you know, when we're recording this, we're less than a week away from the election and reading it in that, (laughs) that context, especially when Haggard is talking to, um, to the unicorn when she's a girl, what's her name? Almathia? Almathia? Althea. Yeah. She, um, he, the, like what he's talking about and like how he has, just completely decimated this kingdom. The way that kingdom feels is really kind of how 2020 has felt in the United States. Um, and then at the end, when um, Lear's like, "Oh, I'm going to go off and I'm going to find the unicorn and live happily ever after," and Schmendrick's like, "No, no, 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 no. You've got to stay here. You got to fix this." And he's like, "But I don't want to fix this." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, this is a mood." Well, yeah. I mean, I, I find that that's a perfect subversion of the sort of like the heroics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the the hero never stays to maintain things. Uh, he, he he's all always off to the next adventure. So, you know, I, I felt that that was appropriate mm-hmm. um, for the type of book that uh, I was given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's. Uh, no, I don't want to wander off topic here, but it reminds me of the economies of games and that sort of thing. Like, if you think about things like a hero in terms of a system, like think about what a hero is in Diablo. Like, he goes out and he murders things that have been put in the ground a thousand years ago and comes back with loot, and the entire economy is built around this idea that you're going to go out and you're going to murder a demon and bring back gold. That's Like, nobody ever produces anything. <laughs> it, yeah, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what to do with that, but it does feel like the last unicorn, that world is a, is a place. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the the interesting thing here is that, and this is the part that um, is not in the movie. It's cut for time to make it a nice ninety minute movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is that in the book they they visit Hagsgate, which is like mm-hmm. the one village that is uh, that is directly within sight of uh, King Haggard's castle, and uh, once and and once you realize that the village basically is a shakedown of the (laughs) it's they, they shake down the, the surrounding lands for, for money and all of them are miserable. They're childless. They're miserable. They have, they do not want, but they, they feel so they, they feel a lack of something in their lives so deeply that they, they're, they're unsatisfied. Um, by the end, when Hagsgate is basically decimated by <laughs> by the curse that's that's been laid upon it, um, they're still unsatisfied. You know, like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. So basically, the entire village is just a village enti- uh, of of people that are entirely aggrieved about something being alive but having to die. It's <clears throat> yeah, that's what something that really got me is. 
Shvendrick's like, well, I could try to lift it. And they're like, no, 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 no. Cause then we'll just die. No. <laughs> and they're like, well, why aren't you enjoying yourselves? Cause we know that as soon as, cause, cause Hager's going to get beaten. Like it, you know, the prophecy came out, this kid is here. Like we know the end is coming. There's no point. There's no point in making any connection with anybody. Cause we know it's going to end. And like, that's one way of looking at mortality. Um, <laughs> Like I, mean, oof. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 the thing is that they, they reflect perfectly like uh, King Haggard himself, who is just so miserly that he doesn't even enjoy eating. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the more I look at the, the weird tech bros who want to hack eating, and you're like, why? <laughs> Food is good. You should eat it. No, no. I want to mix up this chalk shit and yeah, drink that. <laughs> Juicy arrow. Uh, you know, and it's like. Uh, you know, I, 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 reducing everything to an input and an output is not helping you, my dude. I feel so bad for Haggard. Like, he needs some fluoxetine or some Lexapro or something. <laughs> like, he just like, oh my god, though. Like, he is he is a very relatable character, even if he's a a terrible detestable man. Like, he you know, he says like, there's there's nothing in this world that makes me happy. Everything has been a disappointment. Like, I try to be happy and I can't be happy. And the one thing that made me happy was this one time that I saw these two unicorns in a meadow. So I got all the unicorns, and now when I look at them, I'm happy. And I like I'm I'm still trying to like parse out you know all of the metaphors that can be attached to that. You know, if it's substance abuse or if it's um. I, I don't know. Like it, it, there's definitely something there though, that, that does, that makes him something more than just like a tropey villain or somebody who we detest. Um, we're like, Oh, you, poor dude. You know, like in the movie, he's kind of this gross looking dude. Who's, you know, like, nah. but yeah. in the book, like, you know, he's a jerk. He's definitely a jerk and he's ruined the kingdom and he's got hubris and he's a, abusive father and he's lecherous and he's just gross but he also has this like streak of humanity in him that i think a lot of people can relate to so you can't completely write him off and i think that's what makes a really good villain yeah right well it's like what makes heroes so disgusting is that you can't relate to them it's like (laughs) people's flaws are a big part of understanding who they are i can i can really see that because yeah he's he does seem human in a way that even some of the other characters do not like i find and i'm i'm pretty sure i'm the only one talking about this right now that that feels this way i find the unicorn before all the bad stuff happens kind of terrifying because she's got no she's got no empathy she's got no sympathy i mean like if she w- what keeps her from being a monster is absolute nonviolence mhm I mean, she's she's basically as terrifying as a thundercloud, and it's about as distant to the, as the moon. It's beautiful to look at, but it's cold, and it's not, you know, it, it's not going to give you back any affection. Yeah. Um, and until she's changed through, you know, Schmendrick's awful, <laughs> awful magic, uh, you know, he, he can't even control it. Uh, you know, she does not know what it is to be human. She's just, and and that's I think that's the other the counterpoint like to to Jen's point Haggard is compelling because he's contradictory mm-hmm. and the unicorn is immortal uh, until that moment she does not know death so therefore she has no doubts uh, and has no regrets and that's horrible like that's horrifying for yeah, a it's human awful. being. I also, but I think that the unicorn also, I don't know. I didn't see her as terrifying. I saw her as like kind of relieving, I guess, like, because she, she is a bit removed and a little haughty, but I mean, like, I would be too, if I was a unicorn, like (laughs) unicorns are amazing, but, (laughs) but like, she also like keeps everything safe in the forest. And when she hears that she's the last unicorn, she doesn't, she isn't just like, Oh, I guess I'll just stay here and keep doing my thing. Cause whatever happened, I don't want it to happen to me. Like she goes out, out of her comfort zone and into this terrifying space, even, you know, with, with, with Madam What's Her Bucket and who uh, and the Harpy and all that, like, yeah, 
yeah, it's super scary. And she's, she still keeps going. And at the end, like she is one of the reasons why the red bull is defeated. And I mean, when, when she's a unicorn at that point, but I mean, like she, I think that she's gentle. And I think that because just because she doesn't have the complexity of her human counterpart or is the human, um, mortals have i th- i think that she she's just kind of this pure goodness um like when she's dealing with the harpy she's terrified of the harpy but she also there seems to be a little bit of empathy for the harpy she's like oh that that poor harpy like to be in this cage she needs to get out you know like like when she's looking at the creatures that are in the cages around her, <clears throat> it doesn't come off as like, oh, these pathetic creatures, and here I am, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's this, oh, that, yeah. that poor lion, oh, that poor, you know, dog, oh, that, you know, poor this in person. Um, and she, so she does have sympathy at least, and she does care, and she is a healer. Um, it's just that it's not as, it's not as connected and personal and it's not as complicated as the love that she figures out once she falls in love with Lear. Right. Jen, do you think that's growth? I mean, do you, do you think she would have had those feelings if she'd have encountered uh, the, the harpy in a cage in the forest back where she was? I'm genuinely asking. I've been trying to figure it out. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, her awakening comes from leaving the for that decision to leave her forest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if she had seen a harpy in a cage going through her forest, other than like, why is there a harpy in my cage and in the cage in my forest? Like, I think that she still would have, I mean, like one of the first things even that Carlo read was, well, you know, she was helping the bear cubs out and stuff. I mean, they have her quote, saving the cat unquote, right, right off the, off the bat. But I do think that there is growth in her having to deal with not being an entity or something of symbolism, like not being a symbol of, you know, and, and immortal, but being something that is base and, and complicated and of the earth, you know, that will return to earth. Um, I think that in those moments is where she really grows. So I have a confession for you guys. Um, I had a, I had this really horrible rant that I was going to do in the middle of this, uh, <laughs> that that was was political and largely untrue, where uh, where Haggard was Trump, and the unicorns were the blue wave, and she was Kamala. But I I, I don't <laughs> I don't have it in me. <laughs> it fits though. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, sometimes you come up with an idea because you think it's interesting and you want to explore it, and sometimes you come up with an idea to hurt people, and that one was clearly not productive. <laughs> I mean, um, I did want to point out that at the end, and I, I I'm trying to f- find out what it's called the um, that practice where they. Uh, uh, Except imperfection, it's is it Japanese? Um, oh, I think so. The with the with the gold um, inserts on on the cracks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? I think I found it. It's called wabi sabi. Is that? I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but uh, it's a it's basically an aesthetic term that uh, accepts imper- imperfections. So mm-hmm. at the end of it all, you know uh, the the. The imperfection, if you will, uh, that the unicorn has takes away with her uh, at the end is the fact that she now, because she's been human for a time uh, and has, you know, had perhaps the fear of mortality, uh, even briefly, she does have an imperfection that is makes her different from a, the other unicorns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, circling back to the, the, the sort of terrifying aspect, I, I think. I understand it from like Schmendrick's point of view that she would be sort of this daunting figure, but she herself is not. And I think that's, that's another thing that it comes out in, in the book, because again, I think that, uh, you know, Peter Beagle is basically using a lot of sort of uh, contradictions 
in how he describes things and in themes as well. So maybe that's, maybe there's nothing there and I'm making this all up though. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that Spendrick is really interesting when juxtaposed with the unicorn because the unicorn loves immort- immortality. Like that's her old shtick. But Schmendrick hates immortality. Like he is willing to shove a unicorn in front of a bull in order to get <laughs> his mortality back. And, and so I, I, he has a different way of looking at it. And, and Schmendrick and the unicorn's relationship is really interesting. Like even when they say goodbye, Schmendrick's like, those, why are you waking me up to say goodbye? Those two actually like you. And she's like, I know that's why I'm waking you up. And I'm like, that's a, that's this <laughs> moment that sticks with me. And then, like, I keep going back to Beagle at the Nebs, but, like, all the way through this reading this, you know, like, all the way through reading his book, like, that was kind of, like, the symbol that I had in my head was his um, acceptance speech, which I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere or something, but he, uh, he, like, was really sad, and he sang a song about um, cause he's older now. He's super old now. And, and he sang this song about like through all of the awards and all of the things that he has seen, he still feels this ache of this loss of this person. And that at the end of his life, he would have rather spent time with that person than all of these other things that happened. And like that really stuck with me because like, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a neopro writer sitting there watching him get his lifetime achievement for the last unicorn. And he's like, yeah, but love though. And then, you know, I get on a, on a plane and come back to my spouse, you know, back here at home. And it's just like that for me is intertwined with the, with the meaning of this book. Um, and the feeling of this book and and how Schmendrick and the unicorn deal with the things that they've lost and the things that they've gained and what their fates are. Um, and it's really interesting that, you know, that was in 2018 and this thing was written, <clears throat> what, 50 years, 50, 40, 60, 60, no. 1968. So 52 years, 52 years. Oh my goodness. It's close enough to when I was born that it's burned into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the thing that really struck me when I was watching the movie um, is the line that Lear gives Schmendrick when he's like, so how did you get – because they're trying to get through the clock, uh, the, oh, the riddle yeah. of how to find the way to the, the Red Bull. Yeah. And it struck me as how – or what struck me, I should say, was how still timely uh, – the line his line is which is basically i i love whom i love mm-hmm. and you know that's something that we are still grappling with right now mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i okay i want to go someplace a little lighter if that's all right <laughs> with everyone um the movie how in the hell did they get those voice actors together oh so good Right? Like, is it okay if I just read some of the names, guys? Yeah. Oh, go for it. Christopher Lee, Angela Lansbury, Mm -hmm. Alan Arkin, Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow. Yep. She grokked. Mia Farrow is amazing. Yes. Yes. I, I, when I found out that the old witch was Angela Lansbury, that sort of warmed my heart quite a bit, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Confusing um, as a Disney fan watching it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Bad knobs and broomsticks. She was the good guy in that. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, the other thing that was like really sort of uh, that really sort of was a great moment is when uh, Molly Grew like berates the unicorn. <sighs> yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. The where were you? Yeah. 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 I mean, because that's that's the thing, right? She's uh, a woman of a certain age, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And she's just pissed off that, you know, the unicorn never showed up when she was younger. I mean, I think that that encapsulates the, the sentiment that Jen was talking about. You know, like, where were you? Mm-hmm. I, I could have used you, you know, I could have done something with you, you know, with this if you, you had come earlier. 
And that was a, that was probably like number one moment on my list that, that sticks with me. And it's interesting because the first time that I saw the movie, I was maybe 21 ish. Um, and I saw that and I was like, yeah, yeah, old lady, it sucks to get old, doesn't it? And, you know, like it was that fear. And then like reading it this week, I'm 33 now, which is, you know, like not super old, but it's not, it's not 21. And, um, especially like in my work in progress, the main character is, is uh, a woman who is in her forties or fifties, is in her fifties. And, um, that line, I was just like, I stopped and like I started ranting like to my spouse who was in the room, and I was like, you could tell the twenty eight year old dude wrote this. Like, I just, I, I don't know if that line holds up as you get older, especially as a woman, because I feel like in society, like there's this thought that if you're not young, then you're done. Like, there's something terrible about growing old, but like the older women that I know are like, Oh, thank God. We don't have to deal with that crap. <laughs> and like the older I get, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm competent now. Oh my God. Like I don't have to deal with X, Y, and Z anymore. Like Molly grew is probably the most liberated character in the entire book. Um, and, and like, I understand that she's had a rough life and and there's a reading of it. That's like, where were you when I really needed you? Like my young self really needed help and you weren't there, but she's, but she's not dead. Like she still gets that hope. <laughs> like you're there now. Like it isn't like she's on her deathbed and it's like, damn, I, you know, I'm a useless human being now that I'm rankly, but I could have really <laughs> used you back then. Um, so she still gets her adventure and that isn't, that isn't taken away from the fact that she's an older woman. I actually really love that she's older. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, th th I think that that's the saving grace. And to your point, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that I think that she's approaching it from like this weird, you know, situation where she's been like basically some scullery slash cook mm. for a, a band of outlaws that are just like, they're not even, they're not even discount they're Robin awful. Hoods. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not even discount Robin Hoods. They're they're like the the ones you find at the dollar store. What the hell? And then yeah. It reminded me of Nexium. Like <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of too much too much HBO Max, but it reminded me of a cult. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Not 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 incorrect, I suppose. <laughs> um but yeah, and, and and to be fair, I think that happens after uh Schmendrick uh calls forth like Maid Marian and Robin Hood and, you know, sort of like these shade, like these illusions of legends past. So I would imagine it's like sharp in her mind when she sees like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what fantasy, the fantasy uh, version of my life would look like. And he's like, no, that's not it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she does get to, um, she does get to get her adventure. She does actually, to a certain extent, she is sort of the conscience mm -hmm. uh, of the of the adventure as well. She's certainly the most centered. Yeah, I mean, she's completely grounded. Yeah, because I mean, like Lear is a himbo. Uh, just, <laughs> oh, Lear! He's great. He's but he's off. Like, oh, I'm gonna go kill an ogre. Oh, you're not impressed by that? It's like <laughs> better find Althea. another thing to kill. <laughs> yeah, the 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 unicorn Althea is like. Um, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> and, and Molly's like, uh, could you not drip blood everywhere? I, I have to clean this kitchen. Bye. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just find Molly Grew to be a charming, uh, adorable favorite. character. Yeah. She's real. She, she feels very real. Um, yeah. One thing about Schmendrick, um, going back to the idea of Robin Hood and telling, like it kind of being like the keeper of these stories, <laughs> like when he comes into the not Robin Hood camp and and the guy's like Captain whatever is cut cutter cutly cuddles C Captain Cuttlefish yeah yeah it, Captain Cull he's like he's like tell me of my grand adventures and he's like well I know enough about this trope to and so it's interesting how Schmendrick is the keeper of the tropes. Um, and that means that he's pushing people into these roles and he's also pushing people away. And it's kind of like, 
what that Schmendrick says is like a self-fulfilling prophecy and how much of it is like a hitchhiker's guide to the land of of unicorntopia (laughs) like it's 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 an interesting balance that beagle does so uh jen i have a question for you um as as a patron um i've been going through your uh you know the 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 description you have on your patreon of, Uh of what you do and what you're about and um, one of the things you put on here is that you focus on uh, women and or queer protagonists dealing with real loss, disabilities, and self-doubt. I think it's important to tell feminine, feminine science fiction and fantasy stories, and so I do it as much as I can. That description ties remarkably well to The Last Unicorn. <laughs> do you think there's any relationship or there might be in the future a relationship between the last unicorn and your own work? I think that there, that there always has been. I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's one of those stories that has, stu- especially Molly and especially the unicorn has definitely stuck with me. It's like definitely my cup of tea. Um, I, especially in the, in this work in progress um, with this older um, protagonist that I'm working with and the idea that she has this chance to be healed and put back to the age of like 21 um, and her wife really wants her to do this and she refuses um, and she's going to continue to age as she ages. Uh, I think that that is one of those things that that may have sourced from somewhere. I mean, um, sure. I think that with with any writer, like you, you read a lot of stuff, and some of it's kind of like yeah, and you kind of throw it away, and then others just kind of hits you in your heart, you know. Um, and I think that the last unicorn, especially the music from the movie, really hit. And there's especially these different moments, like the "Where Were You," like the the song that. Um, that the unicorn and Lear sing together in the movie, like these small moments that really mean something. Soundtrack by America. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. It's cool, I mean, but it's weird. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I was like sitting there going like, wow. And Peter Beagle wrote the screenplay too. So he adapted oh, his wow. own work. So I have to wonder, like, did he, was he able to basically get like, Basically, his 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 you know like his list of things that he wanted out of this because this actually like it's so amazing like Pete said like the 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 voice actors mm-hmm. you know Christopher Lee again Christopher Lee is a bad guy who would have thought <laughs> <laughs> never Jeff Bridges <laughs> you're like what oh I would listen to Jeff Bridges read his grocery list. Yeah, I mean, he's got a good voice. I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, and I think that Alan Arkin as uh, Schmendrick is great. <laughs> it's a <Yeah>. great choice. <laughs> oh, Schmendrick! Yeah. <laughs> I have weird feelings about Schmendrick because <laughs> like, I feel like I should really love him, and I also am like, oh, you're such a schmuck. I mean, even his his name is Yiddish for a fool or it says you're a contemptible person and wanted to double check that I was getting it right. Um, and then you're like, Oh, your name is Yiddish. What is, what is Beagle's religion? (laughs) Um, (laughs) and he's just kind of like going to this like dark step down and you're like, wait a minute. Well, I mean, I, I guess my question to you is, do you think Schmendrick is a stand in for Beagle himself? Oh, he's Jewish. Oh, thank God. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I was worried about that too. <laughs> I was like, I, oh, thank God. I do. I, I think, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I was pretty sure on that, but thanks for confirming. Yeah. Was like Schmendrick the moneylender. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are they a goblin and Grim- Gringotts? That's what I'm going to after this. Oh, God. Yeah, I just oh my god. Well, I'm I'm in the middle of converting to Judaism right now, and so like I'm just really 
sensitive about that stuff. Sure. But yeah, no, I do think that, especially Peter Pickles Jewish, thank you, God. Um, (laughs) I do think that Schmedrick is, but it's interesting, like, Beagle is a fantasy writer, and and so his relationship, Schmedrick's relationship to the unicorn um, versus Peter writing a book about a unicorn, and and it's, it's so interesting. And then, like, um, in one of the introductions that I've read from one of the copies of the books, I don't remember which one, Peter Beagle is talking about like his relationship to the text and how he started off writing it because um, he wanted to write a book that he would read. But by the time he was done with it, he thought it was really dumb. Like he really hated this book and he thought it was dribble and awful and he was going to throw it away and all this. Um, and his <laughs> oh, critique so, partners so, were like, no, don't throw it away. So, um, so, so like, so like a writer, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, but now, but like, then he said that like, um, I think it was like in 2007, he was sitting in a bookstore reading it and it clicked that he actually really loved this story and it was actually really good. And he's like, Oh, this is interesting. Most of my life I've hated this. And, and so it's, I think that Schmendrick wants to love that unicorn, but for some reason can't. Like, there's just a big old block between him and the unicorn. And I wonder if it's, like, something to do with Schmendrick's self-hate. Because, like, the unicorn, I feel, is, like, this symbol of love and acceptance and peace and joy and kindness. And Schmendrick's like, yeah, but I'm a jerk. Like, when we meet (laughs) him, he's a henchman. Like, that, and, and... um, another thing that Beagle did when writing this is he pantsed the whole thing. And so when Schmendrick showed up as sidekick no- or henchman number two, that's all he was supposed to be. And then he kind of like blossomed into a semi-antagonist, semi-protagonist, you know. So so like I, I think that Schmendrick doesn't like the unicorn because of something inside of his own self. Well, I mean, uh, if we can get a little meta, if Schmendrick is Beagle... <laughs> and the unicorn is the book and, and Biden in my analogy, but go on. <laughs> no, <laughs> let's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I won't do that again. <laughs> but no, no. I mean, um, because like, uh, isn't writing a story or a book, your claim to immortality, you know, you, you have, if that's the only thing you do, uh, that's sort of a piece of you lives on. Right. Mm-hmm. So it seems rather strange that it sort of lines up with how he felt about the book in real life. <laughs> I just find it, I'm just sort of tickled by that because it's, it just sort of lines up perfectly, which means of course it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> or it's too true. Or perhaps it's too true. <laughs> it's or truth. Who knows? So, I think this might be a good time to to pivot to the the works and social media of J.R. Dawson. What do you guys think? I think that is correct. What do you say, Jen? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, first off, Jen, do you want to walk? Like, let's just say someone is encountering you for the first time on this episode, and they're like. I must read her works. Uh, where do they go? Sure. Um, so one of my favorite stories is Marley and Marley. It's in um, fantasy and science fiction from 2017, but you can also um, hear the reprint on Escape Pod. Um, and it's a really beautiful audio of it. <clears throat> uh, that's probably my favorite. Um there is also a larger list um, on my website, jrdawsonwriter.com. Um, and I have updates on my Patreon and Twitter. Um, the Twitter is at j underscore r underscore Dawson. And then the Patreon is patreon.com slash jrdawson. So I tried to keep it really simple. Um, but I would start with Marley and Marley. Um Another one that I really love is kind of hard to get, but it's in the very last issue of Mothership Zeta that they ever did. Uh, and it's, if you love The Last Unicorn, <laughs> it's called The Legendary Legend of the Darkly Slayer. And, and it's probably the closest thing that I've written to like straight up tropey fantasy, which, which I really loved. I really love this story. 
<laughs> um, and then, um, yeah. And then the only, the other, <laughs> the other social media I have written here, I just started a TikTok and I'm very proud of it. Uh, it's, I'm getting with the times and it's a green power ranger writer. And so there's, there's fun stuff out there and there's dogs and there's also writing advice. You're not going to do like little dances where you uh, point at little phrases from your stories. Oh, I've already done that. No, the, oh, excellent. <laughs> you just kind of, you just like dance with the music and then you point up there and then you point over there. And then you, <laughs> such right. a weird app. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've never even gone on it and I need to, it's, it's just, it's eating too much of Twitter for me not to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually really fun and it's really not regulated. <laughs> So I've been like in a good way, like the revolution is happening on TikTok, <laughs> which is really cool to see. Gen Z is an amazing generation. <laughs> um, Jen, this, this has been a wonderful experience. I really want to thank you for coming on here. Thanks um, for having me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have anything in mind right now, but like keep us in mind. I'm sure we're going to try and con you into coming back if you had a good time. Of course. Awesome. This was awesome. Digitally lasso you. Or use like a, a big shepherd's crook to pull you on back on. That works. Uh, anything else you want to add, Carla? Um, no, I think uh, I think we covered everything. Okay. Is there anything else? I, I don't think. Yeah. This is, after all, the last unicorn, right? Yep. Yep. And well, I mean, I was going to wish everyone a happy Halloween, but they're going to get this right after Halloween. So um, is this the day before the election? Vote. Uh, yes. Vote. Well, let's, not, uh, let's not. Yeah, let's not jinx it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we hope you enjoy the last election. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Unicorns yeah. wouldn't vote for Trump. <laughs> 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 that's I that has to be true. I mean that's that's just factual. Um yeah, I, I think that's as wonderful a place to leave it as any. Um take care everybody. <laughs> Alright. Bye bye. Bye. In the shadow of the forest, though she may be old and worn, they will stare unbelieving at the last unicorn when the first